listening to Unfiltered with Muhammad Uncut, a podcast about personal growth and authentic leadership. If you're looking for tips on how to manage others, get ahead, and make your way up the corporate ladder, this is not the show for you. This podcast is about being of service to others, leading from the heart, and evolving into a better version of yourself. Each episode brings you motivated stories about unfiltered leadership and authentic leaders, those who involve others, use their influence to amplify diverse perspectives, and inspire teams to achieve collective results. If this sounds like you, keep listening. Good day and welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. And we have with us an incredibly unfiltered leader, Enda Odorte. Did I say that properly? Mohammed, that is pretty damn good. Yeah, get I tried to, I tried to do the accent, but it's not going to sound as intriguing when you speak. So I probably just oh, got like, I have an accent Dorothy. to you. It's good. Thank you very much. Well, welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the Unfiltered Podcast. Thanks for being Thank with you. us today. Thank you so I'm much. going to Thank tell you. my listeners a bit about who you are because really, you know, when you reached out to me and I, and I did some reading and watching and learning about who you are, you are truly an inspirational person. You've come with a very uh, incredibly inspiring background and that's what we're going to learn about today. But I think it's probably useful to do you some justice and talk about some of what you've done, even though I know you're going to share that with us today. So you're an inspirational speaker and endurance athlete. You've taken on some of the world's toughest challenges. We're gonna certainly talk about those today. You've pushed your physical and your mental limits beyond just marathon running, just marathon running. You've completed the Ironman Sweden and the Ironman UK, one of the world's toughest endurance races with a four kilometer swim, followed immediately by a 180 kilometer bike ride, followed by a full marathon, wow. An incredible athlete whose mindset and mental toughness set him apart, completing nine marathons in eight days, an incredible feat while carrying a washing machine on his back. This makes for an incredible <laughs> achievement and an incredible story that we're gonna dig into today. You're all about constant change. You're about progression and growth. That's why you've got your vision on insurmountable feats like climbing Kilimanjaro, 19,000 feet, with a washing machine on your back. You're driven by fierce energy and passion to inspire others to achieve the best they can with energizing stories of physical and mental challenges that have set you apart on a journey of self-discovery. And that's why you're here today. And that's why you're our unfiltered guest. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Mohammed. Thank you so much. Do you know when I hear introductions like that, I have a weird sensation. I'm listening to going, God, that guy sounds crazy. Yeah. Uh, who is he? And I'm also thinking, God, he sounds like an interesting guy. I'd like to meet him sometime. <laughs> I'll arrange for that. <laughs> Listen, you are, your story is inspirational. This is the first time you and I are connect, connecting in person, or at least virtually, and not the last time. But I want to know, who the heck are you and what has inspired you to do all these amazing things? Oh, thanks, man. Well, it's, it's, it's a long story. I suppose, really, my story starts... Um, you know, I, I tell people I'm an alcoholic and for a long time as an alcoholic, it was the darkest, most horrible thing about me. And I suppose part of my journey has led me to realize that 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 we perceive to be our weakness, you know, that that we think is the dark side or something that we don't like about ourselves. You know, with, with a change of perspective, it can be your superpower. So I was obsessed with alcohol for a lot of years. Thankfully, it's 12 years now that I'm sober. But that ability 
you know, that problem that I had where I was obsessed with whiskey or obsessed with brandy or obsessed with vodka and drank so much at any opportunity, that's now my superpower. You know, it's perfectly natural for me to get out of bed at 5 a.m., go to the gym, um, you know, read some books, have breakfast in bed with my wife, maybe do some yoga, go for a walk by the river and then start my day's work. It's completely natural to me. So the, the negative that I had is now my superpower. Um, I suppose my own story, too, is that I became involved as a mental health advocate and an ambassador for mental health charities because um, I knew what the dark times feel, felt like. I was extremely suicidal. Um, I didn't sleep at one stage for about six months, and I was losing my happiness and my sanity because um, I didn't realize, but I had completely medicated all of my problems in life with alcohol. And when I stopped drinking, the wheels came off. So I suppose... For me, it's been a journey of gratitude. I really appreciate my physical health, my mental health, my happiness. I don't take it for granted. And uh, it has allowed me, you know, to totally change my direction, you know, from drinking four or five bottles of whiskey a week to um, being an author, you know, having my book, whoop, wrong shoulder, there we go, having my book come out this November. Um, I work as an international motivational speaker. I've worked with TripAdvisor, I've worked with international banks. Um, I'm loving life. I'm loving making a difference in my community, leading people and, and speaking about mental health and suicide in particular. And for me, you know, it's, it's just been a magical journey. You know, even, even meeting you today, every single day, there's new people, new opportunities, new ways to spend my energy. And I'm so grateful to have them. I'm grateful that you're here. And I want to tell people, Enda in Gaelic means beautiful, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so in Irish, my name is Aina, which means beautiful like the birds. And uh, I was saying to you, my, my mother as well, uh, intelligent lady, because O'Doherty means the hurtful or fam dangerous family. So I've got my nice yin and yang, my uh, balance going on, yeah. And that balance is so integral to who you are in that integration. And what can make us really, what can make life really difficult for us and give us a, a lot of adversities along our journeys if we can change our perspective, as you say, we can use that strength that we may otherwise, all that energy that we may otherwise depend on feeding the monsters that are inside of us that are eating us away, we can use that yeah, energy to help so us climb true. summits, right? And you've yeah, done so that. So I, I had a journalist ask me a while ago, Mohammed, about my own mental health. And he said to me, Ender, where are your own demons now? And I said to this guy, I said, I still have them. But the problem, the good thing about them now is they're on page 16 of a very long list. I'm too busy trying new things, experimenting, helping people, improving, changing my life, communicating. I'm too busy living and being happy to worry about my demons. They're still there. They'll always be there. But, you know, if you can focus your mind on something else, and I think you hit the nail on the head too with people, you know, so many times the businesses and people I work with, you know, they set limits in their own life that really only exist in their head. You know, a couple of years ago, I ran a marathon and, I, you know, you get a finisher's T-shirt and I had the, you know, finisher on my T-shirt and I wore it all day, every day. I smelled like a trash can because I wore this T-shirt so much and I had, you know, the big Bee Gees medallion medal finisher, you know, and I thought, my God, I can run a marathon. And fast forward a few years later, I was able to swim for one hour. I was able to cycle for six hours and run a marathon 15 minutes faster than I had five years earlier when I thought I was at my limit. See, our limits are here. Our limits really aren't anywhere else. Um, I thought I could never possibly be fitter. I went back and did a second Ironman and I was honest about my weaknesses. I made improvements. I made changes. I challenged myself, which so many people don't do in our lives. I went back and did a second Ironman and I went three hours faster for the same distance. 
And I suppose the Ironman slogan or their motto is anything is possible. And it really opened up in my mind that possibility that anything was possible. So um, as crazy as it sounds, what I did next was I wanted to build a mental health uh, facility or treatment centre here where I live in Waterford in the southeast in Ireland. And we needed money. We needed $300,000. And we got that lickety split because I put a washing machine on my back. My mental health message to people was, particularly men, don't carry a, you know, a big problem around. Talk to somebody. If you're under pressure, if you're feeling anxious or nervous or depressed, talk to someone. Share the load. Don't carry something stupid. And I think, Mohammed, we will both agree carrying a washing machine was the most stupid thing I could carry around. Um, so what I did was, as crazy as it sounds, I did nine marathons in eight days. So if any of your listeners or anyone watching this has done 26 miles, you know it hurts like hell and you're and your nails. 26 meters hurts. Yeah, it does with a washing machine. We did nine marathons in eight days. So about 30 miles every day with a washing machine on my back. And um, it tested me. Like, it really tested me. I lost all of my toenails. Um, I lost the fat pads at the front of my feet. Um, I broke both of my feet. Um, I had hallucinations. I had uh, what can only be described as combustible diarrhea. It was terrible. I was really ill. But, you know, it's when we're challenged, it's when we're squeezed and pressured in life. That's when the magic happens, when we step outside our limits. And, you know, a few years later, a few years earlier, I had struggled to do one marathon. Here I was doing nine in eight days with a washing machine, but making a real difference to people in my community. You know, getting people to talk about mental health, getting people, particularly men, to talk about weakness and accept vulnerability. And And that's not something that men are comfortable with. Right. We men have this facade of needing to be strong and formidable and insurmountable. And and we can't let down our guard, as Brene Brown calls it. We can't take off our armor to show our vulnerability. We're not courageous enough. We choose to be these daunting, strong people on the outside and on the inside. It's okay to have the weaknesses. You know, when you talk about carrying that washing machine, a, a colleague of mine, and her name, she's a poet, her name is Nezra Zabian, and she says, uh, these mountains that you are carrying on, these mountains that you are carrying on your back, you're only supposed to climb. You physically carried so many mountains on, on, on your back for the longest time. You know, your mom may have named you something that resembles uh, the yin-yang, you know, the, the beauty and, and, and the great devastating roar, right? You didn't get to choose that, but you got to choose how you lived your life. And you may have made decisions that have led you down the path of adversity. And that's when you were, you know, uh, an alcoholic. Let's, let's call it what you have. And that's brave for you to be able to share that message to let people know that, hey, I can talk about this because I'm healing. And it's always a process of healing. I don't think we can say we've healed. We're always healing. But you have carried, you know, earlier you said about it's crazy or stupid to carry a washing machine on, on, on our back. And I think, and I don't want to use the word stupid. I will let you choose the words you put. But it is unthinkable that we would do such a thing, but it was probably a lot more strenuous on you ongoing consistently to carry the demons on your back that you were always carrying when you were, you know, yeah, living the life as an yeah. alcoholic, when you were struggling, mm-hmm. right? At yeah. least now you've made that choice that I can climb a mountain. I can carry the weight of the world that I choose to before you were being but- acted upon, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a second message with the washing machine. And that was, you know, so many times people in our lives, we think they're strong. You know, when I came out and spoke about my mental health struggles, 
you know, I had colleagues and friends say to me, oh my God, like we thought you had the perfect life. You have a beautiful house. You have a really nice fast car. You have an amazing wife. You are, my children are like, they're so pleasant. They're academically super high achievers. Somebody said to me, Mike, I thought you had the perfect life. And I said, I was so unhappy. You know, I was drowning in a sea of brandy because I was that unhappy. So I think sometimes, you know, not only do we have to be brave to talk about problems or issues, but I think also it's a case that sometimes we need to ask people, you know, are you okay? Because so often in life, you know, you say to someone, how are you doing? Or how, how are things with you? And they go, yeah, I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. And the, the truth is that they can really be struggling. And, you know, the next, the, the first time you hear they're really struggling is that they've taken their lives or something tragic right. has happened, which is, you know, which is over my shoulder there behind me, which is why we went for that bizarre combination for my book cover, you know, the statement, I'm fine, you know, I, I'm doing really good, I'm fine, but the picture tells a different story, the right. contrast. And people, everybody has a struggle. You know, one in four people in their lives will have a serious mental health issue. It's, you know, if it's not you, if you're lucky enough that it's not you, it's someone you love, it's your wife, it's your son, you know, it's your brother, it's your, it's your best friend, it's people we care about. And, you know, for me, one part of the journey has been to realize that, you know, real strength is to admit when you have a problem. A real strength is not just to solve your problem, but for me, I, I have a passion for speaking about endurance, about resilience, about mental health, because, you know, this book actually inside the front page, Mohammed, my dedication, I dedicated this book to anyone who's lost family or friends to suicide, but I also dedicated it to the guy or girl in the bookshop who picks this up, who looks at the cover and thinks they've got no way out in life. I have hope. I have hope. I said, I want you to read this story. I want you to realize this guy went from the very bottom to having the best possible life that he's having right now. I want this book to be dedicated to you. And you know, and you say two incredible things. One is we're all dealing with demons and we, you know, that, that's our own personal journey or nightmare. And then, you know, but the other thing is people are dealing with it. And on the outside, there's this facade that they look fine, that they look fine. They are fine, but they're not. They're burning on the inside, and we need to care enough to ask men, women, uh, people in our community. And we just lost last week. I think last Thursday was Suicide Prevention Awareness uh, Day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the, the, the night of, a young man from our community took his life. Nobody would have known it. He was my daughter's friend, really close friend, mm. and he was someone who was always giving them advice about how they could be better. And nobody knew he was struggling. And the yeah. whole community was reeling from it because nobody saw it coming. And what could we have done? What could his friends, his family? Now, I mean, no one has to feel regret, but we need to be aware that we can prevent this. To your point, we can talk about it, tell people it's okay, let them know we are here to support them. Whether this is in a workplace where somebody's family member is struggling because they're dealing with a mental health issue or a physical issue like cancer or some sort of disease or alcoholism, drugs, substance abuse, or whether they are dealing with it themselves, we need to see the signs and we need to say, I care. Yeah, I think that, that's the simple thing is, you know, uh, I spoke at um, a conference in Baltimore a while back and, um, you know, they had a fantastic reaction to what I spoke about, particularly on Twitter. But um, one of the lines that sort of really ignited people's imagination was I said, the fundamental thing about humans is our humanity, you know, our ability to care for others, our ability to reach out and make a difference. Um, like I work as a speaker. Look, my, my wife has a serious handbag addiction and shoe addiction. She shops regularly. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I've got to make some dollars. I've got to work. But um, I do pro bono every month. 
Um, like my dad is still with me, a very wise man. He would say to me, you know, having money in the bank is great, but unless you've got something in your heart and your soul, the money is meaningless. Um, so I do pro, pro bono pretty much every month for events and for charities. And I, I mentor a lot of charities in how to raise money and, you know, how to, how to conduct media campaigns for, for charities because our campaign was so successful. I should say, you know, partly the story with the washing machine too was, you know, I'm not as stupid as I look, Mohammed. Uh, the washing machine was designed as a media hook and it worked like magic because every TV station, radio station, they wanted to know about this mad Irish guy that was like running around the country with a washing machine in his back. And I suppose then when they heard that I was going to time, attempt to climb Mount Kilimanjaro with a washing machine, it was, you know, really caught fire from... A Tokyo. real washing machine, like... Yeah, so <laughs> everybody asked me what weight is the washing machine. Obviously, uh, first thing I did was took my hammer out and as many pieces as I could knock out of it, I knocked out of it. Um, but it weighs, you know, if, if, you have, um, if you've got any 12-year-olds in your life, it weighs about the same weight as an average 12-year-old. So if you can imagine doing um, nine marathons in a row with a 12-year-old on your back, that gives people wow. a good idea. Um, I can still see the faces of the lovely people in Tanzania. They'd heard about the Irish and how lovely we were, but how we were a little bit naughty. And uh, when this Irish guy gets off a bus in Tanzania with a washing machine strapped to his back and heads up the mountain, they were like, what the hell is going on here? You is know? there symbolism in the washing machine? Yeah, so like the symbolism is, you know, it's, it's, it's a hidden load. It's, it's meant to remind people that not everyone's load can be seen. The guy who, like, you know, that young man you spoke about, you know, if his problem or his load had been as obvious as my washing machine, he could easily have been saved. If he had spoken about his load, you know, the difficulty, his life could have been saved. And, you know, that, that, was, that was the part. I think, too, you know, sometimes when people talk about mental health and resilience and determination, those topics, sometimes they can be quite dark and they can be quite, you know, difficult for people to begin the conversation. But the lovely thing about, I don't know, maybe it's my lovely smiley face or my, my half Santa beard, but um, when people meet me or they see my washing machine, they light up, they smile, they laugh. It's a great conversation opener. Like people say, are you, what the hell are you doing? Are you completely crazy? And then you tell them your backstory and you tell them why. And, you know, it has, it has a great energy. It has a magic about it. So much so, Mohammed, that, you know, when, as we got further and further into the months and months of training, I had to stop training with the washing machine because if I went outside my front door, I had people taking <laughs> selfies, people coming over, people wanted to talk, people wanted to do radio interviews. And, like my wife, who's my like literally my right hand man, she made me train with a big you know rucksack with stones in it because that way people just left me alone. Whereas if I went out with my washing machine, there's an instant crowd, which I suppose is nice too. But yeah, we had to, we had to make changes. So and uh, the the point that you would want to make to people who are suffering because you know you're a very strong and resilient person, but let's not kid around. You went through a lot of adversity, and you still carry the weight of that with you. When someone is struggling and they, they're, they're drowning, yeah. how do you, with that different perspective of healing, come to them and show them that there's hope? Yeah, Words sometimes aren't enough, right? How do you show them? How do you manifest to them the hope that you've lived through? Yeah, I, I look, first of all, I, you know, I, I, I sell hope religiously, pardon the pun, but I tell people there are all, there's always sunshine behind the dark clouds. You just have to hold on till it appears. But, you know, whether I'm coaching sporting teams or corporates or whether I'm talking to someone who's in crisis, you know, there's a couple of key elements. You know, you've got to take action to escape where you are. You know, sitting on the couch or sitting on, you know, your doorstep looking out at the world and thinking, I hope life gets better. 
Hope is great, but you've got to take action. You've got to do something. So for me, for example, I know my triggers would be sleep. Like, you know, if you email me after 9 p.m., I'm not going to see it because I don't have a phone near me. I have a digital sunset with no technology and I sleep like a baby at nine o'clock. I get out of bed at 5 a.m. because that means I don't need a sleeping tablet tonight. Um, I go to the gym seven, nine times a week because I know that re reduces my anxiety. It reduces my depression. Um, COVID has messed me around a little bit, Mohammed, because I am the world's greatest hugger. The first time we meet, I'm telling you now, I'm going to give you a hug that will break you in half. I'll lift you up like a bear because I'm getting free serotonin, human contact. Um, I laugh a lot. I smile a lot. You know, I listen to lots of really good music, whether it's jazz or classical music. You know, if you're struggling, you know, whatever aspect of life, whether it's financial, you know, I, I hear guys say to me, oh my God, you know, I wish I had more money. And I say, well, what have you done about it? And they go, well, nothing. So they're sitting, it's crazy, but they're sitting there hoping that money is going to come in the front door, like it's going to start raining. You know, we're, there's a great line I heard once, which is, we are masters of our own destiny. You know, our health, our physical health, our emotional health, our financial health, our relationships, they're in our hands. You know, we've got to do something. We've got to take actions. It doesn't matter what action you take. doesn't matter if it's big. doesn't matter if it's small. But take an action. Be persistent. Be consistent. Take actions. And when you see improvement, take more of that action. And if that action doesn't work, you've got to go the other direction and change. But, you know, don't sit and be paralyzed by fear. You know, I, I was talking to um, I was talking to a gentleman recently. We were talking about the concept of fear in our lives, and I said it's like um, cling film or sellotape. You know, sometimes if you put a layer a layer of that sellotape around you, you could drive the car, you could function, but if you put enough layers of it, eventually you're frozen. You can't do anything. So, right. you know, it's about hope. It's about action. It's about, you know, being honest with yourself and saying, you know, what I can do. I, I think sometimes people forget, Mohammed, that, you know, the smallest actions can have the biggest consequences. Um, you know, you were asking me about the washing machine and the weight. So somebody said to me one day, they said, my God, like you're 52. How can you be so strong and have so healthy at 52? So I tell them this story that my coach said to me one day, he said, Enda, can you do 10 push-ups? And I said, of course I can do 10 push-ups. He said, please do 10 before you go to the bathroom. And I sort of went, 10? He said, yeah, do 10 before you go to the bathroom and do 10 before you wash your hands every day. So that was about 50 a day before I went to the toilet and 50 afterwards. 10 push-ups at no point was huge effort. The first year I trained with that guy, I did 32,000 push-ups. At 32,000 push-ups, Mohammed, I turned into a human gorilla. My, my boobs didn't juggle anymore. You know, my, my, my man boobs were like steel. My, my shirts, my suits, nothing fitted me. And I was going to the gym and training as well. So, you know, sometimes we can really underestimate the power of the smallest action in our lives right. that can have the biggest consequence. And, and, you know, if you are struggling, listen to this in any aspect, like formulate a plan, but most important in life, which I come across most often with people is, you know, take the action, don't be afraid. However small. And keep in mind, too, that however small the adversity can be, pebble upon pebble, you'll get a mountain of adversities that can weigh down on you, right? So, you know, you, you can take that perspective where one little thing, another little thing, and eventually it's, it's, it's a mound that, you know, like a mound of, uh, of shrubs that you find in the desert. You pack them all together and they'll create a fire. But the same thing, you can take the energy from that fire and use it to burn and, and, and to help you, 
right? To, to burn it away and, and to get energy from that fire. So, you know, take that adversity and turn it into action. Don't sit there and lament. And I know for people who are struggling, those adversities can seem overwhelming. But do one small step at a time. Face that fear one, one tiny step at a time. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be Kilimanjaro. Right. No, it doesn't. It do right? I, I tell you, there's there's a lady. No, it doesn't. It was Kilimanjaro is perfectly natural for crazies like me. But um, I, you know, I was mentoring this lady, and she's been struggling with. Uh, we'll say she's calorifically challenged at the moment. She was struggling with a few pounds, and um, she rang me one evening. She said, "Andy, look, I know I've read your video and I read your blog today. I just, I just, I want to give up." She said, "You know," so she said, "I'm going to the gym six times a week." I said, "That's great." So I asked her, Mohammed, I said, where do you park your car when you go to the gym? Where do you think she parked? Probably right in front of the door. <laughs> she would have driven the car into the lift and gone up to the gym in her car. Okay, so simple action. I got her to park one mile from the gym. And on that mile, she walked to the gym and warmed up so she had less chance of injury. When she finished her class, she walked back to the car, she rang family or made a work call one mile, okay? She went six times a week, that was 12 miles a week. In two weeks, she did a marathon. There in a month, know. she did two marathons. In three months, she did six marathons, and her weight went boom. And she said, oh, my God, what happened? And I said, you took a si tiny, small action, right. you know, persistent, consistent effort. I think where a lot of people go wrong, too, is they're not kind to themselves. You know, I want people to read my book and be inspired, but I don't want someone to read my book and go, oh, my God, I can only do 3K. You know, I can't climb Kilimanjaro. My life is miserable. No. I started at 3K, you know, I ran five miles and it nearly killed me. You know, I, I ran my half marathon. It's about finding for me, it's about unleashing your own potential. You know, I, I know your podcast, I've listened to, you know, material, I've read your material and it's really uplifting. I love it, Mohammed. I'm well done. Thank you. And, but I want to be negative, okay? Because all your guests are always positive and tell you good. I'm going to be, the average person listening to this podcast, okay, lives 28,000 days days that's all you get 28,000 days on average yeah. it does not matter how much quinoa you eat how much lycra or spandex you buy how many bikes you buy how many spin classes you go to we all get approximately the same amount you might improve the quality i might live slowly longer but my passion is to tell people to remind people it's about today today is one of those 28,000 days i promise myself when i get into bed tonight I will not possibly have been able to squeeze anything else from today. I will go to bed with a smile on my face and contentment in my heart because I got everything I could out of today. I was kind to people. I made a difference in people's lives. I worked as hard as I could. I looked after my physical health. I looked after my relationships. And getting those pillars in our lives right can make the biggest difference to those 28,000. You know, I, I have a couple of fundamentals that I don't negotiate every day. So every day I learn something. So at the moment, I'm reading Marcus Aurelius' Reflections. He's just an incredible Roman general, emperor, an amazing guy. Thousands of years later, his wisdom is real, and I love it. So I learn something new every day. Uh, I watched a documentary um, on Julius Caesar this morning. Uh, you know, in Germany, the leader was called the Kaiser. And you know, in Russia, they had the Tsar. Did you know that Kaiser and Tsar come from Caesar? Because they Caesar. Were to be. There you I go. Yeah. Well, I learn every day. That's a pillar. I exercise every day in some shape or form. Some days I hit the hit, you know, the hit classes and it's a big sweat and lots of heavy weights. Some days it's a walk by the river. But to keep my body functioning, I exercise every day. It's non-negotiable. Um, so my takeaway there is stop and 
similar to that lady who learned to walk a mile or that person who's doing 10 sit-ups or 10 push-ups before and after the bathroom, right? Yeah. Stop and look at the small incremental changes that you can make each day, not tomorrow, not what you should have done yesterday, but today what's truly in your hands. What can I do differently now? What are the small changes? Because those small changes can become big incremental changes over time. And you know, even though this podcast is for anyone, it's, it's about being unfaltered, removing the masks, saying I'm enough, I'm okay. I always think, if, you know, the more I, I, I talk, the more I, I'm interviewing people, I get the clarity that my audience are really those tough-minded men, leaders who don't want to change. I'll tell you why this is becoming more clear. But again, this is for everybody because we all want to become better. When I was growing up, I was bullied. I was bullied by the jocks. I didn't feel like I was good enough. I didn't feel I was man enough. I didn't feel I was male enough, much enough, uh, good enough, anything enough, sporty enough. I grew up not feeling enough. Even my name wasn't enough. I changed my name. I changed so much about me till I got older. I even tried, I even tried suicide. I tried to take my life because I just couldn't take it anymore. There you go. And it wasn't until I accepted myself for who I was and wanted to become and reclaimed my identity that I felt I am the owner of my own destiny. I'm the master of my destiny, as he said. I want to say to those men who are leading this, we want to change the landscape. We want to have more diversity in our leadership, men, women, whatever, right? But right now, most leadership positions, most CEOs are men, 98%. Those men are struggling inside because they are dealing with adversities they don't talk about, they don't help others, they don't know how to lead from the heart. They believe that leadership is about profit and having a crystal ball to tell the future and increasing the well-being of our organization financially and not just emotionally and mentally for the people that work with us. So I want to say to them, you need to be in touch with this feminine side, with the emotional intelligence side that says it's okay to think about being creative and innovative and get in touch with your feelings, get in touch with your heart. Men don't want to have that connection with themselves or with each other. Just recently, just recently, men have started to talk about these things in the locker room. But for the longest time, and I think it is still the norm, men are macho. Men have yeah, to be tough. Yeah. But you look yeah, at you, just... 52, climb Kilimanjaro, carried uh, you know, a washing machine on your back, but you are in touch with who you are inside as well as the outside. Yeah, you know, Mohammed, I said, I said to my wife at one stage, why did you not tell me to stop drinking? And she said, oh, I, I did, but you, she said, you know, I knew that when you stopped drinking for you, when you loved you and took care of you, then, then it would be permanent. She said, if you stopped drinking for me, it would be a week, a month, or a year. And I think a lot of people need to learn, you know, we've got to be kind to ourselves and we've got to love ourselves. I think, you know, you made an interesting point there about leadership. Um, you know, on the first day of lockdown in Ireland, my wife works as a teacher, and about day two, I think she got a phone call from the principal of her school. And of course, she did the instant thing an employee does. She went, oh my God, what have I forgotten? You know, have I not done something in Google Classroom or Teams? Or oh my God, I forgot to post something or, you know, I've, I'm in trouble. And her principal just rang to see how she felt. Was she okay? And was her family okay? Nothing to do with school. What a difference that made. Six months later, she's still talking about it. And I know if her boss asked her to stand on her head and spin around, she'll do it twice because she knows that person cares, that person has humanity and has a heart. 
I think I, you know, I'm very privileged to work with a lot of, of management teams and companies, you know, and particularly in crises when leadership shows, you know, during COVID, it's been so difficult, so much fear, so much anxiety, so much challenge. But here's the thing about challenge and anxiety and pressure. It's a real chance for real leaders to demonstrate not just who they are, but what they believe in and what they stand for. And I think the companies and the, the real leaders that I see who are successful, sure, they've got a big game plan, you know, financially or, you know, strategically, they know what's going on, they know what time it is, but they realize that their company, their success depends on people who have hearts, who have souls, who have families, who have children. And that level of intelligence and care that moves them to being exceptional leaders. You see, so I think sometimes in the structure we have, we do interviews, you know, we do CVs, we do resumes, we get, you know, promotions. But for me, leadership, it's not a title. You know, it's a set of actions. It's a set of beliefs. You know, the fact that you're the boss, you know, it's, it's not a ceremonial title. It's something that should be demonstrated in how you respect, how you speak, how you affect people in your employment. It, it is your actions that really speak louder than words. That title of leader, you know, somebody puts on your door, that medallion that you've earned means nothing if you can't demonstrate to people and earn every single day with every action. You earn those stripes. You yeah. demonstrate by how you make life different and better for people. You know, the principal yeah. calling your wife, showing that he cares, she's dedicated to him now. And if we can bring those leaders, if they can show up to their workplaces and show genuinely, genuinely yeah. that they care about the people that work with them and not for yeah. them, because as a leader, you're of service to those people. And when you let them know, you know, so many, so many leaders think that it's a triangle, you know, with the CEO at the top, directors, yeah. right? And we got to invert it. Servant leadership is about inverting and saying, we're here to serve. We're here, you know, I, I've got this title, I've got this role, you know, I may even make a certain amount of money reflective of the importance that I bring to the organization, but without you individual contributor being the reason that we are here, we don't, you know, you go to McDonald's, McDonald's, you know, we were talking about yesterday with another guest about, you know, our choice of foods. I worked at McDonald's. It taught me great discipline. And I always think if it wasn't for the great people who work there, who need to put the effort and the dedication and making the food and serving the food, doing it with a smile, making a difference. So I'm talking about these essential workers that are working and smiling and making uh, an, an impact to the people that they serve. Those people are teaching us what it takes to use our humanity. And it helps us create a certain level of humility in our own humanity to recognize that these people are serving us. But what we need to do, leaders have to say, wait a minute, we are here to serve them. We are not here for a title. We are not here to sit at the top of the paradigm and say that, you know, you report up to me. But really, what can I do differently to you? Can I call and say, check in with you and how are you doing? Can I come and see how's work today? What can we do? You know, you let people weigh in, they'll buy in. And it's not about role and what, you know, the authority somebody bequeaths to you, but it's about how you demonstrate sincerity in the actions that you perform to serve the people that you're there to serve. And I think, you know, in your leadership, when I hear you talk about your, your vision and your approach and the people that you talk with and your story, here you've got this really tough guy who's pretty strong and mentally and physically, but you're soft. And soft yeah. is not a weakness. 
No, I, I think like uh, it's 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 you know, maybe it's a good slogan for a T-shirt, but I think kindness uh, is, can be a superpower. You know, I, I did an interview uh, for a radio station the other day, and they they did this pre-interview where they like make sure that you're not going to say anything outrageous. And the lady who did the pre-interview was very stressed because she had like three or four kids screaming around her because she was working from home. And um, she said, oh, she kept apologizing for her kids crying. And I said, look, it's okay. I, it's family music. I have kids. I love the sound. I didn't even hear them crying until you pointed it out. So the next day, um, I was thinking about this lady. So I went on Amazon and I bought her a big pile of puzzle books and color books. And it was like, I spent maybe $10, I don't know, $15. And I sent it to this lady and I just said, had a note saying, uh, maybe the next time you have an interview, it might get you a few minutes of peace. Uh, have a great day and thanks for having, having me on the radio what show. Yeah. yeah, but here's the thing is, my phone started buzzing the other morning and I was like, what's this about? And then I realized this lady had tweeted a picture of the coloring books and said, kindness is powerful and told the story. And then another company contacted me because they liked the idea that, you know, that the smallest action makes the biggest consequence, you know? And I, I, I just love the power of kindness. I love, you know, I love when you ring someone up. Uh, my, my dad's of a generation. <laughs> when I ring him, the first thing he says is, what's wrong? He assumes someone is dead or someone has something bad has happened. <laughs> He's negative. What's wrong? I go, dad, nothing's wrong. Why does something have to be wrong? But, you know, I, I love setting myself challenges or people who follow me on, on, on Facebook or Instagram. I love setting challenges like, you know, ring three people today who haven't spoken for five years. You know, find someone you're in high school and ring them and find out what they're doing with their life. Or, you know, that guy in work or that person that you trust or that person who's always been there for you, ring them today and say thank you. You know, or, you know, somebody who you've had an argument with and you know you're 100% in the right, you know you are completely correct. Park it, ring them. It's okay. Yeah. Forgive. Forgive, ring someone and tell them, walk up to someone and say, I really appreciate you. Or walk up to someone and say, you know, I never told you this, but I love you. I love your company. I love what you mean to me. Because, you know, for me, those emotions and those actions, you know, it's like walking in sunshine. You feel fantastic. I'm looking at the lovely sun coming in your window there beside you, Mohammed. <laughs> Um, mine unfortunately is artificial, but uh, we, we don't have sunshine in Ireland. We <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got a lot of green grass. Oh, a lot of green grass, and the yeah. everyone all the tourists say it's so beautiful and green. That's because it rains all day, every day. Mm -hmm. But um, no, for me, like actions like that and encountering people with kindness, you know, actively being purposeful in your life and doing things, you know, that that's that a, that's a ray of sunshine right there. Just spreading that yeah. kindness, yeah. right? Can I, can I can I tell you an amazing experience I had? I'd love I, it. Well, a couple of years ago, I was going on a flight from Dublin to Austria to Vienna. And uh, I'm the nightmare guy. You know, the guy who sits beside you and you go, oh my God, he's going to talk the whole journey. That's me. Okay. You know, the guy you put your headphones in, even though they're not charged. And you no speak English. No speaky. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> so um, I sat beside this man and as I spoke to him, I noticed he had a scar in his arm. And I just come in the conversation. I said, did you hurt your arm? Was it a bike accident or something? And this guy said to me, he was an elderly gentleman. And I was shocked because he told me that he was going back to Austria for the first time since World War II. And he was an Auschwitz survivor and he was sitting on the plane with his wife. And they were going back to their home village in, in, in Austria to see what was left of their life. And I went, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I'd asked. And he explained to me that the scar on his arm was where he had taken a knife. And the day the American soldiers had liberated Auschwitz, wow. this guy took a knife and he cut the SS number from his arm. And he said, I would rather my scar than their number of hate. 
I'm a person, I'm a human, I'm not just an object to be, you know, to be marked. And he told me about how he'd gone to the States and he told me about, you know, his family and he'd set up business and, you know, his kids had gone through high school and university. And I sat amazed at this guy's story. And I said to him, I said, like, how could you possibly have such, you know, horrendous, all of his family had died, they had been killed in the concentration camp. He met his wife in the concentration camp and they had gone to America together as children and ended up meeting and growing up. And he, he said to me, the most of it, he said, I'm master of my own destiny. My happiness is in my hands. He said, I chose a life full of hope, a life full of positivity. I could have chosen a life full of anger and misery, but I wouldn't have enjoyed my life. He said, I had the most amazing life. And I sat on that plane and it's, I know this is the, this is the real shocking thing, Mohammed. I was quiet because I talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but what a privilege to meet someone like that. And it was amazing. I took that, you know, story literally, not just in my ears. I took that story in my heart. You know, we're all masters of our own happiness. Right. You know, it's just a matter of, like you said a few minutes ago, get the mindset and take the right actions. Well, you know, that story reminds me, I believe it's Victor Ankle, right? Also in Auschwitz and, and his perspective and, the truth that we have the power of choice and we can choose. And, you know, you talked about your dad, you talked about this elderly gentleman on the plane. Most of the time we reserve kindness for an action or a reflection that we exercise when we're 80. We want to look back on our lives and with regret and say, what could we have done differently or better? What you remind us is kindness is something that we can exercise today, every day. Look at, you know, whether when you're putting your head on your pillow, think about how was I kind today, or you're looking to the next day and think, what can I do tomorrow? Because it's those incremental changes that change you and change the world and, have, you know, bring sunshine where maybe sun doesn't shine. And we need to yeah. do that often. And, you know, what I want to ask you, I have something called the unfiltered thought of the week where I ask the guests to... Give that ray of sunshine, that piece of advice to help the listener become a better person, an unfiltered leader, a, a, a genuine human being, somebody who's human but humble, right? What piece of advice would you give for people to connect better with that piece of kindness in their life? I, I think, you know, that what I said to you earlier about that we're here for a very short period of time. I think it's really important, you know, that we maximize everything in our life all the good things. We tend to maximize, you know, we tend to maximize the fries and we, you know, we'll supersize the fries and supersize the Coke. My thought is supersize love, supersize kindness. You know, be kind to yourself. Step outside your comfort zone. Don't live a life in fear. Live a life that's positive. Live a life that's full of energy. And, and, and you know, don't sort of, somebody was very kind to me recently and said, Andy, you've raised a lot of money for charity and, you know, you've done a lot of work with mental health charities. And, you know, helping others is the absolute best way to help yourself. When I speak to people, even speaking to you today, I feel great. It's great therapy. It, this evening, I know I'll go for a walk by the river. I'll reflect on what we've said. You know, if I do another podcast tomorrow, I'll talk differently or I'll, I'll adjust, I'll improve. So I, I would think reflect on your life, be kindness, be kind to yourself as be kind to others, supersize your actions, don't live in fear, you know, and, and, don't be afraid to step outside that comfort zone. You know, it, like you say, it doesn't, you don't have to run up a mountain with a washing machine, but don't live a life where, you know, if you're sitting on the couch, watching Netflix, eating a pizza every night, that's not living, that's surviving. You're a hamster in a cage. 
you know, we're humans. We're meant to be better than that. You know, we're, we're meant to be glorious. We're meant to shine. We're meant to impact our planet and impact the people around us. And that's inside. It's not just inside me. It's not just inside me as an author, a speaker. That's inside everyone listening to this. You just have to start to figure out how to unleash your magic in your life and your magic in your world. And that can start with even the smallest incremental step, but it has to start somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, it has to start somewhere. Like, I mean, you know, uh, what I love about action is, you know, you, uh, you know that when you toss a coin, you go, heads I win, tails I lose. I love to toss coins and I go, heads I win, tails I win. So I just keep tossing coins because I know I've generated situations in my life where good things are going to happen. Right. You know, when it hasn't happened yet, you control what can happen. You control your perspective. So heads you win, heads you win, tails you win. So Right. Love that. Yeah. And it, it's, it's really good. And look, it's not to deny, like it's not to be simplistic and say, you know, difficult times or tragic times. Like one, one of the chapters in the book I wrote about was in the last two years, I lost my mother to breast cancer and she was the most amazing, powerful woman. Like, you know, I, I did the eulogy at her funeral and um, I actually put it into the book because so many people liked it. But I said to someone at my mom's funeral, I said, you know, she talked considerably more than me. And they went, wow, that's an amazing woman. <laughs> But she was an inspiring, she was a firecracker of a lady that just light, lit up life and just made such a difference to everyone around her. But, you know, life is full of difficulties. Life is full of tragedies. You know, I'm not like one of these motivational speakers who says, you know, let's hug each other and ignore the bombs that are falling through the roof or, you know, we don't need food. You know, I know for a fact there are many things in life that will happen. There are people listening to this podcast who've been lied to, cheated on, who've had friends or family tragically die or get illnesses they never deserved or asked for. Horrible, horrible things happen in life. We can't control those. We can't deny that they happen. What we can control is our response to them. You know, it's like, it's a certainty that things will go wrong in your life. I think particularly young people struggle with this because in their world, it's Instagram, it's perfect filters, perfect skin, perfect teeth endless income, beautiful sunshine, life by a pool, one big barbecue, nothing bad will ever happen to me. And you and I both know, that, you know, since I got my solar panel fitted and, and <laughs> since I got a few more extra wrinkles and my, 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 my Botox bill is going up, life is difficult and life is challenging. I don't deny that. But what I, what I am accepting of and what I do firmly believe is that we can control our responses to, it. you know, that we really can control, um, you know, how bad, if something bad happens, we can choose to magnify it or we can choose to minimize it. And I think that's, that for me is an empowerful, powerful mindset. To have. Yes. And we can remove those filters. And I want to thank you for talking to us about how you've removed those filters. You are truly oh, an we inspirational. Can't be at an end. We can't be at an end. I have 500 no. more stories. Where <laughs> oh, you know, today I heard that this is not the beginning of the end. This is the end of the beginning. So this is just a new start for you and I to continue chatting. I'm sure good, I'm going to reach out to you in the future. And thank you good for being stuff. an unfiltered leader. Thanks for being an inspiration. I look forward to, uh, your book is on Amazon now. I'm fine. It's, it's available. It's on Amazon. It's on Waterstones. It's okay. everywhere you can possibly Please imagine. Please check it's it out. Endo I'm Darty. fine. I'm fine. And really, it's, uh, like I say, the picture, If I don't know if you're listening to the podcast, the picture is me screaming and gold writing underneath it. I'm fine. And it's to remind people it's the contradiction, but how we say we are and how we feel. But, the book is about far more than that. 
you know, someone said to me, what kind of book is it? And I said, it's the book, you know, when you're on vacation and you throw the old t-shirt in the bin in the hotel room before you go home and you throw the, the sandals and the old sneakers go in the bin because you're going home, that's the end of your holiday and you throw the holiday book in the bin. I want this to be the book that your listeners, when they buy, they go, you know what? I'm bringing this one home from vacation because I'm going to read it at Christmas or I'm going to give this to my brother or I'm going to give this to my best friend. It's a book, I think it's a book full of sunshine. It's a book full of life. It's a book full of love. And thank you for sharing that love with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All the best. Thank you for listening to Unfiltered, the show about authentic leadership and personal growth. Like what you heard? Click subscribe, share it, and tell a friend about it. And don't forget to leave a rating.